This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to TMZ Live. Harvey Levin here. Charles here. Very excited. We're going to have Henry Winkler on a little bit later live. Uh, always love talking to him. Always love him. Uh, we're going to start with Taylor Swift. She is the uh, person of the year. Um, and I suppose... Even before even, Time even called before her that. Even before Time called her that, she was the person of the indeed. year. But now Time has made it their official title. Uh, and the story about that she tells, she talks about her year, obviously, but also she talks about something that I did not realize was still something that she finds very painful, and that was the big brouhaha between her and Kanye West and Kim Kardashian back in 2016. There is no forgiveness here. She is upset about this. If you recall back then, Kanye had a song where he said, um, the song was the title is famous. And he says, I made that bitch famous. He says that was referring to Taylor Swift and that she signed off on that. And Taylor Swift said, I never signed off on that. And then Kanye and Kim produced a phone call a recording that they secretly made where it sounded like she really did say that. Yes. And by the way, if you have forgotten about that video, you should go see it on our site. It is, it's so cringeworthy to listen to it now and the things Kanye was saying to her. But it really stuck with Taylor. This is what she told Time. Um, if you said, referring to that video, you have a fully manufactured frame job wow. in an illegally recorded phone call which Kim Kardashian edited and then put out to say to everyone that I was a liar. That took me down psychologically to a place I've never been before. I moved to a foreign country. I didn't leave a rental house for a year. I was afraid to get on phone calls. I pushed away most people in my life because I didn't trust anyone anymore. I went down really, really hard. Wow, and that is uh, seven or eight years ago, and it has stayed with her, and you feel it as you hear that. Yeah. Um, but um, there is a clearly fractured relation, no relationship. No relationship between whatsoever. Kim and Taylor, which is interesting because I think she was really suggesting Kim was, be was the mastermind behind it's almost, this phone call. Mm, I don't know that she's, and I didn't see the full of what everything she said to Time, it can't be that she's just giving Kanye a pass. She's not. But I think maybe she feels like Kim being the person who recorded it, hope, maybe she hoped that Kim would step in and be the, you know, sound, the voice of reason, uh, which she clearly wouldn't be expected from Kanye at that point. No one did. Right. But not just that, you guys. If you remember, you know, go, go back in time when this had originally happened. Kim didn't just post the recording and silently say nothing. At the time, she had doubled down. Kim was tweeting at Kim. She was really coming for her. She even did like a GQ magazine article where Kim had claimed that Rick Rubin was in the room when Taylor was asked about it, which, by the way, at the time, you know, Taylor, it wasn't about being called out in Kanye's song. It was being called this horrible word 
in the song. That's where the main issue came from. But Kim had doubled down. She had never publicly apologized. Um, and the fact that that we're now really hearing from Taylor, like how she felt, how she was, um, you know, how this really affected her life to the point where she moved to a different yeah. country. I mean, really like makes you think how hard Taylor had taken all of this. Yeah, and you know, it's it's really interesting because to me the two most famous women certainly in entertainment are Taylor Swift and Kim Kardashian. And you know, each of them was able to succeed in their own lane and they Kim crossed into Taylor's lane here and did what seems to be irreparable damage to their friendship. I yeah. mean, that's kind of the way I see it. I think the takeaway from this whole thing getting brought up again is obviously Taylor is reflecting on her career. She is now, you know, the person of the year, which I don't think anyone would argue. But here Taylor is, is kind of proving that you can be at a point in your life where everyone hates you. You feel like everyone's trying to take you down to the point where you kind of become a recluse. But in just a few years later, you can also be the person of the year. So it is really great to see how far she came from. And she came out of it on top. She certainly did. By the way, in a big way. Um, we were talking about this in our morning meeting today, that one of the reasons, I th look, I mean, she had just a phenomenal year with her albums. And right, her the tour and the movie, the whole thing. everything, yes. But the NFL did not... Hurt. Did not hurt her in getting no. this title. No, and, I don't, and it's not a slight to Taylor to say that that recognition, I'm not giving Travis Kelsey, the, I'm not giving him in any way the credit for her being, but I'm saying the fact that she became such a thing in, a, in a, a, an environment like the NFL, which is right, so huge in and of itself, um, is and a she testament almost, to how big her year was. She almost overtook the NFL. Right, right. So that's all about Taylor and kudos to her. You can't, can't knock it. Hi, I'm Carrie from Bergen County, New Jersey. I think this is completely deserved. It has been the year of Taylor Swift. She has been shattering records left and right, breaking her own. And she is just a force to be reckoned with. And I'm not surprised at all that she's person of the year. I would have been surprised if she wasn't. Right. <laughs> if they had selected anyone else who would have been like, did they not really? What, what happened? Taylor Swift. Right. I know, exactly. <laughs> Which okay. is weird to say because there were, they even admitted some of the other people they talked about were huge world figures I mean, in different Solinsky environments. But, and right. a lot of people, good yeah. and bad. Yes. Uh, okay, we got to move on. Yes, uh, moving on now to Cardi B. And uh, we said it yesterday that it seems like there's trouble in paradise well, between there her is, and Offset. There is trouble there in paradise. There is clearly now trouble in paradise. And she spelled it out by declaring what's gonna happen for her in the new year. Yes, it's still early December, but she has a new year's resolution. And um, there's a phrase she used here that is pretty clearly. <laughs> Look on the screen. About dead her husband. Wait. Yeah. Mm. Career-wise, financially, and uh, personal life, I know where I wanna be at next year. You know what I'm saying? And, um, so I, you got to get rid of that weight. And when it comes to that weight, it's just like that weight, I will be, I'll say mentality, procrastination, laziness, and people. Because a lot of people are dead weight too. And sometimes, you know, I feel like as a Libra, when it comes to people, we always want to protect their feelings. We always want to protect their image. We want to, we just want to protect 
people. Like, how would they feel? Or how would life without me will be for them? that. Look, and, and she doesn't <laughs> say offset, but kind of like you guys hinted before the video there, that's where a lot of these problems are, and we haven't seen the two of them together in a long time. Be interesting with Christmas coming up, what's gonna happen. They obviously have two kids together, and Cardi has stepkids uh, with Offset as well uh, that were his from previous relationships. But you also have to remember at least kind of what we've learned through the years. She has gone through different members of her team uh, and kind of cycled through management and everything like that. So you kind of wonder if we're going to see a whole new Cardi in 2024, Cardi the artist. I know there's been a lot of pressure on her to release that second album. Maybe we're gonna see that start to happen. And maybe this is a rebirth for her career as well. Well, the other thing too is that they have had public problems before. Right. And it looked like they were heading for divorce. She did file once. She did file <laughs> once and then withdrew it. So, I mean, this has happened a couple of times. I have no idea whether this but is different I, I gotta or not. tell you, this, the reason this one feels different to me is in all those previous incidents, they were both taking shots at each other and they would say each other's names. Right. Like, that video, if this were back then, she would have said, Offset is this, that, and the other. And, but here she's not saying the name. And to me, that feels like it's hitting more for her. It's hitting a little harder, and she's serious about it, as opposed to when you call someone out by name, you want a reaction from them. I mean, that's true. Them. You want a reaction from them. That's why you're calling them out by name. Also, though, the, the, the difference is there were allegations of infidelity before. This does not seem like it's that. I mean, she's talking about well, laziness. I don't, I don't know. Well, what, maybe it is, but she's, yeah. she's talking about laziness. Right. And, you know, it's almost like I want... My, I, I, I want to move forward in my life and I'm being dragged down. I mean, that's, that's the way I right. interpret it. And that. his only response has been to post a scene from Scarface that is basically Tony Montana saying, I'm the one who built all of this. You're nothing without me. So you hear both of them sort yeah. of saying, I want to, she's saying, I want to be in control of my career. I want to move forward. And he's saying, you're nothing without me. So, right. right. Hello, my name is Caroline from Accra, Ghana. Cardi sounded really hit, and I wish whatever she's going through is resolved quickly. I hope she puts herself first this time around, because she can't make everybody happy. She should just trust herself and then do what's best for her. Yeah, she says that's what she's going to do. That's what she says. Well, this is um, a treat for us, uh, because we are about to be joined by an absolute icon. Absolute television icon. Uh, and more than that, and I think everyone is, um, if they didn't know about the many lives of Henry Winkler, they are learning them now because his book, uh, Being Henry, has been on the bestseller list for- Fourth what? week. Fourth, Fourth week. week on the New York Times bestseller list. Uh, there is obviously the first, my first contact with Henry Winkler was watching him as the Fonz. Um, and then there was so much more after that. And I know that you have a personal connection also because you guys are been friends for years. Uh-huh. And he even admits it sometimes in public. <laughs> uh, so uh, we, is joined, we are so grateful to be joined right now by the legend himself, Henry Winkler. Uh, Henry, welcome back to TMZ Live. Good to see you. Well, you know what? I, the last time I was there with you in person in the bullpen doing a Christmas special. Right, one year ago. You know what? Our Christmas special aired uh, the same Merry Elfin Christmas. It aired last night. Uh -huh. um, so, oh. Henry, we got to start with something else. I mean, and, and Charles is so right. I mean, you, in my lifetime, um, you are 
one of the great legends of television. I can't think of many people who are at your level. When you have but a one, singular character. But one, one, one person was, um, and I, I would love to get your thoughts on the passing of Norman Lear. You know, there are, it's very hard to form language around someone who had accomplished so much with such grace, such intelligence, and such fun. He made so many people for so long laugh. And I just read um, that either Michael McKeon or Paul Reiser said, he asked Paul uh, uh, Norman Lear uh, at his birthday party, uh, so how does it feel to be 101? He said, I don't know, not as good as going to be 102. <laughs> and, you know, his his vision was always forward. Yeah, yeah that's true. And, and, and really, I think, took the country forward. Um, there's so many things in society that I think changed, certainly in the 70s and 80s, as a result of what we saw on the television screen on his shows. Um, Absolutely. Incredible impact. I gotta ask yeah. you something. Your, your life is just so fascinating. Um, and what I didn't realize until we were preparing for this was, um, I, I did not realize that you had only been in LA a couple of weeks before you landed the role of the Fonz. Um, and and it, made, it, it got me thinking that wow. you were so young back then and all of a sudden this just unbelievable role lands in your lap. And in later years, I mean, you're 78 now, you win yes. an Emmy for Barry. And you know, there are not a lot of people who can look at the, you know, the, the, the beginning of their career and at a point you are now where there are so many decades in between and you have this incredible bookend success. That just must feel incredible because very few people have that. You know, when I was uh, just a, a, a neophyte, when I just arrived here, I was um, who I thought I should be. And I went on a journey uh, looking and I'm becoming who I am, who uh, the authentic me. And I am now only now because uh, of this journey, am I able to look and go, holy moly, what an, an incredible uh, uh, adventure I've had. Yeah, it's just remarkable. I am very, very um, aware now of how the world turns and you just never know. And it's so it is vital that you are um, brave enough to just forge ahead. Yeah, yeah. One of the many reasons I love you is that this town, Hollywood, is filled with people who are just clawing their way over people to achieve and succeed. And the Fonz was such a huge character that they were thinking of changing the name of the show to Fonzie's Happy Day, Happy Days, and you not only said no, but that you'd quit if you if you did because you didn't want to hurt Ron. You know, I had a conversation with Ron once, fourth year. I think we were doing uh, a two-parter at a dude ranch. He's driving me home. We're in a one of those original VW um, bugs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
that was like driving in a small milk cart. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I remember I them to, well. Said, okay, we've got to talk. How are, how are you with this? The character, my character is really starting to take off. How are you feeling? He said, you know, it hurts my feelings. I was I was uh, uh, hired as the star of this show, but you are not doing anything to try and elbow anybody out of the way. You're just being a good actor, working hard on your part. It's good for the show. And that was the last time we spoke about it. Hmm. Wow. 50 years later, the Howards are at our dinner table. Ron and Cheryl. I knew them before they were married. Her family, Bryce's family, Zoe's family, we're all at the table. And Ron said, when I called on the payphone on stage 19, and I said, I'm not coming back. I thought, oh, my God, my life is over. Here is a great acting partner. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I was just silent. And then I said, you've dreamt about this. You've got to do it. Go. Go and do it well. And he said to me 50 years later, when you said that to me, you gave me the conviction of that I did the right thing, that I was on the right path. I said, it took you 50 years to finally <laughs> tell me that. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. And I'm just wondering, just because I know you and you're such a nice guy, I'm wondering, you know, people say that, you know, the whole is bigger than the sum parts. When you, when you wrote this book and you looked at your life, was there like one revelation that you thought, my God, these pieces all connect in a certain way that kind of defines me? Is there something that just kind of surfaced that you didn't think about as you went through your life piece by piece? You know what? I, I have to tell you exactly. My image is this. You have a cup of coffee in a glass. You pour cream into the top of the glass and it swirls. It makes these beautiful pictures as it becomes whole and another color. I was so disconnected at the beginning of my career, at the beginning of my journey here in Hollywood, that nothing swirled. I had all these thoughts, nothing swirled into my body. And now I am. Finally, the, the cream is getting into the rest of my body and swirling. And it is such a wonderful feeling. It's, it's freeing. Because the more you know about yourself, I think, the more you know about everybody. We wouldn't have such a disconnect in America. And we could actually listen to each other. You, all right, that you think that? Okay, you think that? I think this, why try to shoot me? That is a powerful metaphor. <clears throat> Henry, congratulations. Wow. This is, it's such an achievement, uh, you know, in a life that has had so many successes. Thanks for chatting Thank with you. us. Thank you, happy, happy holiday. And yes, the same to you. you. too. Love to your family. Thank you, you too. Okay, man, thank you so much. I gotta tell you something about him, that everybody says, is Henry that as, as nice right. as he seems? 
And he is so unfailingly nice that you just can't imagine anybody. But he hinted that there is a moment. He's had moments. He hinted at it. I never and, saw it. I didn't want to put him on the spot and tell us when you blew up at someone, but. I never saw it. Never saw it. He hides uh, it from you. Well, Diddy is now facing another very serious lawsuit. Um, and, you know, this all started with the Cassie lawsuit. Uh, and then there were two more accusers. Um, this woman is file, has filed a, uh, as an anonymous accuser, as a Jane Doe, um, and filed it in federal court today. And it goes back to, her allegation goes back to 2003. And she says she was 17 years old at the time, but tells a very detailed, um, really harrowing story of meeting uh, first the president of Bad Boy Records uh, in Detroit when she was an 11th grader, um, but ends up on a private jet with him, goes back to New York, and then meets Diddy. What's different about this lawsuit is that she's included uh, photos. Now, she's blurred her face. She's filing anonymously. But photos of her, she says, in the studio with Diddy back in 2003. Um, and she says, yes, she walked in and there was a recording session going on. But when it ended, that's when the sexual assault began. And it is a really... Um, yeah, the, the allegations are absolutely horrific. She says she was 17. She was only in 11th grade at the time. Said she was taken from Michigan, as you said, to the studio in New York. And after that session was over, she says they plied her with drugs and alcohol. She became so inebriated she couldn't consent to anything that was happening. She went to a bathroom where she says she was raped by not only Diddy, but as you said, the president of Bad Boy Records at the time, Harve Pierre, and a third person. So really, she describes a gang rape scenario where she said she ended up on the bathroom floor in the fetal position and has been so traumatized by this, but never said anything, she said, until she saw Cassie and other women come forward, and she said that gave her the confidence to finally share these allegations. And so Diddy um, has actually come up with a uh, with a statement on this. Yeah, I mean, almost the claim. minutes after it was filed, uh, he told us, enough is enough. For the last couple of weeks, I've sat silently and watched people try to assassinate my character, destroy my reputation and my legacy. Sickening allegations have been made against me by individuals looking for a quick payday. Let me be absolutely clear. I did not do any of the awful things being alleged. I will fight for my name, my family, and for the truth. My name is Ray Williamson from Rancho Cucamonga, California. Uh, being a fan of hip hop, there's always been kind of rumors about Diddy. Uh, since the Cassie thing happened, I knew there was going to be a lot of stuff coming out. This is bad information. I mean, because he has a 17-year-old girl sitting on his lap in the photo. I mean, that's pretty damning. He yeah, no, has an uphill battle if he's really going to fight all these allegations in court. Got his hands full. Uh, we are going to pivot to something that is potentially happy news. Yes. Um, we told you how Brittany and her father are coming inching closer to reconciliation. Um, as far as we know, there hasn't actually been contact yet, but you could say that she extended an olive branch in a way yesterday when she posted some throwback photos on her Instagram. And in that set of photos, she included uh, this photo with her father, with Jamie standing there. She's holding one of her sons back when they were infants. Um, but there is uh, Jamie as the doting grandfather. Um, and it's the first time I can remember. It's the first time. Absolutely. Seeing Brittany post anything where there's an image of her father and she's not saying it, any, you know, ripping it, into it. It is really significant. And look, we we told everybody yesterday that about a month ago, 
actually a little more than that. Uh, Jamie Spears um, had his leg amputated. Um, this is after a massive infection that he didn't really take care of, and they did five surgeries. They couldn't save his leg. Our recon is Brittany did not know this until we posted the story, um, and Jamie kept this secret. Um, and, and not so much that he was afraid to talk about it, he just didn't. Right. Um, and uh, this, you know, hours after we posted the story, Brittany posted that Post picture. That photo, yeah. And we told you that she had been warming up to him, that she had been telling people that she missed him, um, and she hadn't made an overt gesture to reconcile. Yeah. But she's doing that with the rest of her family around Christmas time. We showed you these pictures. Uh, Lynn, her mom Lynn was in town over yep. the weekend. Uh, they were all hanging out at her manager, Cade Hudson's house. We know her brother Brian was there. And we've also told you guys uh, from sources that we know that Brittany is uh, back in communication with her sister, Jamie Lynn. Um, it's unclear if they've uh, met up one-on-one -on -one in person together at this point, but we do know they are communicating. Uh, we're yeah. gonna take a break. All right, uh, when we come back, the only thing more shocking than finding out that former GMA hosts Amy Robach and TJ Holmes are dating is finding out who their exes are dating. This is a mind-blowing twist and we will talk about it when we come back. Who saw this come? I wonder if they did. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to TMZ Live, and this new couple, yes, I'm going to say it. I normally don't like saying new couple alert, but this one deserves a new couple this alert. This is a great And I'm not story. talking about Amy Robach and TJ Holmes. Nope. It's an old couple, blah, blah, blah. We were talking about their exes when the news broke about a year ago that they were dating each other. Immediately, people wonder, well, what about their spouses? And there were people who felt like there was infidelity. They have always denied that. But their spouses, Andrew Shu, who uh, the actor, of course, you know from Melrose Place, a lot of things, was married to Amy. And Marley Feibig is TJ's now ex-wife. Guess what? They are together. <laughs> they are together. So the exes just... that were kind of left uh, on the side of the road uh -huh. um, have found been, their way to each other. Found their way to each other and have been together for about six, six months. Is the report, yeah. Um, and... and check this out. So this is about six years ago. This is a picture because they were all friends, right? And so this is Andrew and Marley, and I believe I guess it was Amy, a GMA event or something. At some GMA event, and there were a bunch of people there. Marley posted that photo and said she loved hanging out with the GMA family, especially Amy and her husband, Andrew Shue. And Amy even liked the photo or commented on it. Like, 
they were tight. You know, they were couples who like did stuff together. These kinds of storylines, you guys, are my absolute favorite <laughs> because once a couple breaks up, everyone's you know thinking the significant other uh, who was with them before is wallowing in sadness and they're brokenhearted, and that may be true. However, these two found the common interest of you know the infidelity and all the things that came with the TJ and Amy situation, and they bonded over that, and they've moved on from their heartbreak, and they are happier than ever being together for the past six months. You said that this was shocking and surprising and jaw-dropping. I don't see it this way. The way, because I, I know. No, I understand the psychology of it. And I get how it happened. It's, it's like it's when just it's it's like when there's a husband and wife, and one of them dies, and then the best friend consoles the survivor. Oftentimes, that best friend and the survivor hook up because they're united in grief, and it's very powerful. And this is a very common thing when somebody dies in a relationship. What's shocking about this it? This isn't death, what's, but it's the same principle. What's shocking about it is that everyone was over here looking at this new shiny thing, right? And it's and <laughs> all the stories around them, right. and them losing their jobs at ABC, and now they, you know, launched a podcast and all that. Everyone's talking about that, and no one was looking at the other two people who were left as you say, left behind after all of this, and we just didn't see it coming. But I get it. It's a pretty great story. Uh, it is. It is a pretty great story. Hi, my name is Cordero from Chicago. Listen, these are the moments I miss Jerry Springer because this <laughs> one has been one of his best episodes. Listen, for we're here for it. I'm invested. They all just need to get together and go and find a reality TV show to do together because I would definitely tune in. Well, think yeah, of this. I gotta, no, no, but you got to think of this. They have kids, and so there's got to be some there's gonna be events, but I don't think there are going to be double dates anymore. There won't be double dates anymore. I don't think. But isn't like one, aren't they like the step-parents of well, all of the kids? They Yes, if you really want to start bending our brains yeah. to figure out who's going to be the step parent for it's crazy it is crazy and what about what are the what are the kids <laughs> i know how, I, how do they like, feel what that is now? going what? on here it's like wife swap uh okay we're gonna move on yes uh to jonathan major's trial now in its third day and uh this is gonna be a big day because grace jabari uh the accuser his ex-girlfriend she has been on the stand and she is back on the stand today but today she'll be uh cross-examined by Jonathan's attorney. So, and you know, yesterday, and you know, today, uh, the issue is going to be what, why did you go to that club? She's already given her explanation for it after this alleged incident. Right. She testified yesterday that the reason she went out to the club uh, was hanging out, buying champagne for people, and certainly from Jonathan's perspective, did not seem injured at all from uh, what had allegedly happened while they were in that car together. Um, her explanation was that she was just so upset she didn't want to be alone. Alone, And so she went out to a club, said she made new friends. It wasn't like she went out with a bunch of her friends, made new friends, bought them some champagne. Uh, what she testified about this morning, she said, um, this is before cross-examination started, she said that the reason that she was found asleep and half-naked on the floor, on the bathroom floor at Jonathan's apartment she said that at some point while she was out that evening, she took two over-the-counter sleeping pills, said that she has trouble sleeping, she was upset, and that she went back to his apartment, and when she woke up, the police were there, she could hear Jonathan in the you know adjacent room, but that's her explanation for everything that happened after the taxi, after the cab Just ride. to kind of add on, the other big takeaway from yesterday's testimony was the fact that she did in fact describe the alleged incident in question. Remember, we were talking about all the old alleged incidents that she brought up, that was very colorful, et cetera, but the incident itself, apparently there was a video played in court, surveillance video, 
that reportedly shows Jonathan Majors like picking her up as she tried exiting the car following their alleged squabble where he allegedly like hit her and like tried grabbing the phone back and twisted her arm, et cetera. She apparently, according to her, tried leaving the car and Jonathan Majors, she says, then grabbed her and put her back into the car. Apparently that was shown on video. And if that's true, in my opinion, could be potentially damning. But then after that, supposedly Majors then left the car and she went after him and that's also seen on video. And her explanation for it was like, well, I wanted an, ex an explanation for the text. He was texting another woman. Very bizarre, very strange. And Fabian, what you just said, I think is really critical here, which is that it's hard to make sense of it. That's what prosecutors are gonna have to do. Because remember, all the defense has to do is prove a reasonable, or show a reasonable doubt. And the jury has got to kind of understand it. And like you say, there are some loose ends here that you don't quite understand. They're going to have to tie that together. Yeah. We have not seen yeah. any of this video, so... Right, there are like no cameras in court. That's this right. Just, yeah. So, um, I guess we're sort of... Uh, apologies to Shakespeare. We're re rewriting some of his work. Oh, uh, this, because, is an, this is an homage to Shakespeare. Well, th well, this time we get a happy ending for Romeo well, and Juliet. Right. <laughs> that's true. Right. That's Fair the rewrite I was talking Fair about. Point. Fair point. Uh, Romeo and Juliet. You may have seen the, about these two manatees that have been living in really horrific conditions at a place called Miami's Seaquarium for decades. And really, the happy ending is that they are no longer in those conditions. They have been transferred to a different facility now, uh, this one in Tampa, but if I understand uh, this, Tampa. but if I understand this right, these two manatees had been together, and they mm -hmm. were soulmates, and they were then separated by this aquarium. Yes, and for what reason, I really don't understand. But I know that this footage you're seeing, this drone footage, which was captured by an organization called Urgent Seas, that's really what got the public fired up about this, and I think it's fair to say is what led to uh, them being transferred now to uh, larger. Uh, tanks and where and they're they back together. together. Yes, and they're, by the way, Romeo 67, Juliet 61. This needed to happen, and we are thrilled to have with us Phil Demers. His organization, Urgencies, took that footage, which really got this going. So, Phil, congratulations! Welcome back to TMZ Live. And um, on wow. my part too, congratulations! This is awesome what you did. Uh, pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks again for having me. Uh, it's a good day. Of course, I stress it's a better day for the man for the manatees, but uh, we're all very proud. To so how did this come about? Because why it's a they... private organization. How were you able to use the outrage on social media? Um, to pressure them. To pressure them and to get these manatees out of there and back together. Well, we should start with stressing that it was the Miami Sea Aquarium that made a post on social media declaring November as Manatee Awareness Month. And so we thought, what a perfect time to, to expose how the Miami Sea Crime actually treats their manatees. Of course, we've been advocating for a little over a year uh, to have Romeo removed from his uh, solitary confinement in an off-site location uh, since having flown a helicopter over, over the facility uh, many, many months ago. Uh, subsequently, more uh, helicopter and drone footage uh, were published, ultimately mobilizing the general public and harnessing that that anger and that outrage into action. And so, so I, I, thank, I thank the public. It really is a, a, a big win. Bill, is there any explanation that Miami Seaquarium ever offer an ex explanation for why they had separated these two manatees? And obviously, you know, having them in the, uh, tanks like that was, is horrible enough. But then 
to separate them for, you know, how many years has it been since they were allowed to be in the same tank? Well, I can't say with certainty that I know when the separation happens. I can attest to that since uh, at least April, um, Romeo has been in solitary confinement. But my understanding is it's illegal to breed captive manatees. And so subsequently they've separated them. Uh, it doesn't excuse the conditions that yeah. they live in, but I, that I understand it was a legal issue. But they are back together now, correct? They are not, in fact, together. They are at the same facility. Uh, Romeo is swimming amongst other males. Okay. And uh, Juliet is with other females. And their their offspring, uh, Clarity, is actually uh, recovering at SeaWorld in Orlando as we speak. So the obvious thing here, a lot of people would say, is they should just be released. And, and maybe they've just been in captivity too long. Is that the old. issue that if they were released in the wild, they just wouldn't survive? So what's happening as we speak is those manatees are in hospital tanks. As soon as they their health are assessed and there's, they're deemed good enough to be put into the general population tanks, those ones replicate uh, a more natural environment. And then thereafter, the very consideration is to send uh, clarity possibly back into the wild. So there's mm. some heavy consideration being given to that to her if in fact she's a candidate. And Romeo and Juliet are candidates for a sanctuary. Uh, there's one in, in, in called Hamasasa, which is not too far away from in fact the Tampa Zoo. So we wait and see, but the intention is ultimately to get them to sanctuaries and back into the wild because these, these hospital uh, tanks are ultimately meant for uh, manatees in distress. So they've got to be moved. Yeah. Can you tell whether um, Romeo and Juliet have reacted positively? Do they display emotion? Is there a way that you can kind of gauge that or look at that? But can you tell the relief yeah. or happiness or anything like that? This is exactly what the vets have updated. They've said that Romeo has been uh, very curious and exploring his environment. And of course, being tactile with other manatees, this is, this is their natural uh, behavior. They want to be in pairs and groups. So yes, from, from essentially spinning in circles, uh, call it circling the drain, from now being inquisitive, curious, and, and being able to interact again. Yeah, their lives have turned entirely around. Wow, Good great. on you and your organization, seriously. Uh, it just, bravo. Chills, chills, thanks yeah, so much, guys. Uh, you know what, as you said that, I was having the same, same exact feeling. It's really great, Phil. Uh, congratulations, keep up the great work, and we're all you know, hoping for uh, a, a further happy ending uh, for Romeo and Juliet. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, guys. My pleasure always. All right. Oh, it's so nice to hear that. Yeah. So nice to hear that. That's just awesome. Lots to talk about with Jennifer Lopez. After a big night for her uh, here in Hollywood, the L Women of the Year Awards went down, and she got their Icon Award. But during her acceptance speech, um, she was grateful with an asterisk. You know, I don't have an Oscar and I don't have a Golden Globe, and I don't have a Grammy, or a SAG Award, or a BAFTA, or a Critics' Choice, or um, a Hollywood Film Award. I do have a Palm Springs International Film Festival. <laughs> but this is my fifth Icon Award. So as I stand here accepting this award, in awe that this is my life, I echo the words from the video that we just saw. Why can't we do all the things? I certainly have always believed and will always believe that we can, that all of you can, that I can. And I thank you for this honor and for seeing me.
Was she, was this tongue in cheek or was it a grievance? No, I don't think it's a grievance. I think it's her being really honest that it upsets her that she doesn't have any of those things. But Charles. there's a difference. Let's, let's just call it. There's a difference between a magazine selecting you and giving you an award and your peers saying, yes, what you did is good enough. And that's what all those awards I, are. I, that's I what Grammys it. But does it, does, does it crap on the current no, award a little just, bit? It was her, while accepting their award, mm. she was honest about the fact that she feels slighted. And the honest truth is that she is an icon. And she, what she's saying in, in the speech is stating that she doesn't have an Oscar. She doesn't have a Grammy nor a Tony or anything like this. And yet we all in this room can consider her an, an icon. And that's what I think she's, she's well, getting okay, at. Well, okay, but Joseph, if you're right, then it's a grievance. Then it's a grievance. Yeah. I mean, no, she's saying, a how can I be an icon if I haven't won an Oscar, I haven't won a Grammy? I, you know, it's like, no, it, because it the thing feels is that like a grievance. Oh, I mean, yeah. she, she, a few years ago, was very open about the fact she was disappointed that she didn't get the Oscar nomination for Hustler. uh, Hustlers. Um, so I get it, but it, it's just... When I mean, it's refreshingly honest, and we don't see that or hear it from celebrities that often. That's why I like this. Hello, I'm Brazil from Oklahoma City. So Jennifer Lopez, we're talking about Jennifer Lopez. I love her, love her so much. Um, Grammy or whatever award or not. So I think we have nothing to do but and love, just breathe and love Jennifer Lopez. I wish she would have said Grammy shmammy. That would have been better. <laughs> so Joshua Jackson and Lapita Nyong'o go to a grocery store. Mm. This is not the start of a joke. They, oh, darn. <laughs> they actually did, which you may also think is, who cares? Seems kind of boring. Well, but there have been rumors that they are dating. They were at a concert together. Time they said, oh, we're just friends. We're just out with a group of friends. But we should say, to set the table here, um, Joshua broke up uh, with, with his ex, Jody Turner-Smith. Jody Turner-Smith. Right. And what's changed now since that concert is that Lapita has uh, announced that she and her boyfriend, Sal Mesekela, have broken up. So now this is the two of them yeah. going into Erewhon Market and then leaving Erewhon Market together. It, Could still just be friends? They're not but, just friends, but, I think. <laughs> right. But I can tell you this much. They are both clearly successful because Erewhon is super expensive. <laughs> so there so you go. So life is good. We've figured it out. We will see you tomorrow.